0: Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. Our scripture passage today is the climax of the Joseph epic, and it's a long story. In fact, I dare say that most of us can recall vacation Bible school and Sunday school um as well as special programs even as a a child and even lately about it i'm curious rebecca when you think back about what was lifted up what parts of the story do you remember best
1: um well i'm i'm glad that jeff shared the children's story again this morning and i could even see some of the pictures from the choir loft when you were showing the children i don't know about you but when i growing up hearing this story in either Bible school or Sunday school, the things I remember are doing coloring sheets of the coat of many colors, you know, so you would take time in Sunday school to make your coat of many colors really beautiful, so I remember that. Um, I also, our Sunday school teachers use those, those, um, those like felt board? No, it wasn't a felt board. It was just the picture that came with a Sunday school kit. So like all of the Bible is in like still photos for me in my mind. But I, I could can see this image from Sunday school where Joseph was in a pit, and so I remember very distinctly that image. Um, and then I I remember the, the dreams, which always were confusing to me. Um, there was a dream about a cow. There was some dream about a wheat. Um, but then I, the kind of picture i think of also is joseph's success i remember a picture of joseph sort of like standing like this in egypt above people like looking like i have arrived just like that yeah it was like that so make sure some of you saw that picture in sunday school growing up didn't you so it was looking like joseph was very successful so those are the pieces of the story i remember i i don't remember learning about crying and heartache as much
0: and there's a good bit of that. In fact, we see that in the passage that we just read a moment ago. What's going on in what we just read? What part of the story um, did we zero in on?
1: I don't know about you all. When, when he read the story again this morning, I had forgotten how long this saga is. And so it is important to, to back up just a second to kind of see where we are, because we were at this moment of reconciliation, but it's like, why do they need to reconcile? So, as you all know, um, Joseph, as as Jeffrey recounted in the children's message, he was he was sold into slavery, and he's, he's in Egypt, and he's in exile, um, and he is able to interpret dreams, and Pharaoh catches wind of this, and so in time, he's put over um, over Pharaoh's project here, and so he's done quite well for himself. He's Um, enabled the Egyptian people to prepare for this famine. He's got a lot of responsibility. And so at this moment in the story, Egypt is this hub for where people are coming for help. And so hungry people from far off lands are finding their way into Egypt because they're hungry and they know that Egypt is going to, it's a place they can buy food, that there is some supply there. And so at this point in the story, Joseph's brothers have come from far off, have found their way to Egypt, and Joseph encounters them, but they don't recognize him. And there's a good bit of back and forth over a series of days, if not longer, of journeying back and forth, and there's deception involved. But at this point in the story, it's where all of Joseph's brothers have now gathered, all 11 of them, including Benjamin, including his most closest brother, because he and Benjamin shared a mother and Rachel. And so they're all together, and the 11 brothers still don't know that it's Joseph, but Joseph knows he's in the presence of his 11 brothers, and he, he, he breaks down, and that's where we're at at this point. If you
0: just focus on this part of the story, Joseph comes across as this saint, as this hero. Look what he does. He reconciles with his family, with the brothers, but y'all we're missing a big part of the story that's just happened right before this. He's no hero. There's a good bit of deceit that happens here. Number one, when he meets his brothers, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Does he make himself known? No. He continues to conceal his identity. Then he throws all of his brothers in prison, which I know is a wish all of us have at some point in our lives. He throws them all into prison and then decides, all right, y'all can go home. I'm going to hold one hostage. He wants to see Benjamin. He goes back. And this creates all kinds of heartache. He's absolutely playing with them. He puts money back in their sacks, suggesting that they had stolen what had been given to them. They're terrified. They come back. Then he wants to hold Benjamin. Then he puts stolen goods and plants them in their effects as they leave so that they can be arrested. This is not a good look for Joseph. This, This feels... To me, like, Joseph is getting even with his brothers. So I, I do, I wonder, is he torturing his brothers? Or is this some kind of, of divine justice? Kind of like karma. This is what you get if you treat people poorly. So I'm curious, Rebecca, what do you think? Do, is, is Joseph trying to torture his brothers here? Or is this justice?
1: I, I don't think it's either one. I think it, when I... When I think of the Joseph story, because it it, doesn't, you could look at it from one way and say, oh, well, they're getting what they deserve. The other is, wow, he's being really cruel to his brothers in the lead up to this point of the story. But I, I think Joseph, he comes across really human, which is a big roller coaster mixture of emotions where he himself, it feels to me like he is grappling with I have been hurt. I want to hurt somebody else. Or, I have been hurt, but gosh, that's my family. I really, I want to be near them. And so you can sense that in his behavior. And it feels kind of erratic if you read the different verses, the things they go through. But I don't find it surprising at all when I think about our families. I mean, if we're really honest about the journeys we've been on with a lot of the people that we love the most. Um, I mean, this is a, Joseph is, has been traumatized. He was abandoned, he's isolated, he's, he's been separated from his family, and hurt by them, but probably also longs to see his dad, longs to see his brothers, longs to see his, his, his extended family, and so I just think he's really real and overcome with emotion in this moment. The other thing that I think is really powerful about this story, is the many times it talks about him crying. Um, Because I don't remember that from learning about it in Bible school or Sunday school growing up. Um, And I'm not one to cry much. Like, I try to pretend when we're watching movies that I'm not crying. You know that moment in the movie where it's really poignant? You don't have a school. I know. And, I'll like, they're all sitting over there, and I'll, like, be in my chair, and then I'll have, like, the one tear, tear that comes across, and then I'll... That I'm crying but you know there's like those little like Hallmark movie moments where you just have a little bit of water in your eye. And you move. That's not what's happening here. Joseph is ugly crying like that kind of like visceral you've broken down like it's not the kind of crying we do most of the time but when you do it's like you it just happens to you and you're almost heaving and so the kind of weeping that happens in the story is really powerful. Like, if you look at verse 1, it says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by them, and he cries out, send everyone away from me. And then in verse 2, he says, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, like they weren't even in the room, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. So, I mean, I can just see, there's no subtle crying here. Like, he is clearly not trying to torture not trying to be cruel, he's hurting. Yeah,
0: and that's, that's made really clear in the story, particularly at the beginning. You know, this is either a great story to tell children or a terrible story to tell children because there's violence upon a kid. Now, when I was a kid, my older brother and sister, they liked to, to beat me up. One of their favorite things was to roll me up in a blanket in such a way that I couldn't get out. And this is why I know I'm claustrophobic. But they didn't throw me in a pit and then debate killing me, which is precisely what happened to Joseph. His brothers were about to kill him. And so we all breathe a, a sigh of relief when they, when they sell him into slavery. But that is an extraordinarily devastating moment. And then we know that once he gets there, he gets employed um, there in in Pharaoh's house, and that ends terribly. He's thrown into prison. And yet throughout all of this, Joseph remains faithful, which I do find striking. I mean, of all the different ways that, that Joseph could have had reason to curse God, he doesn't. But Joseph's life is one of pain.
1: It is. But I think it's also, there's a lot of hope in this story, which it's hard to see at first. Um, But if if you look at the hurt he experienced, God is present with Joseph throughout the story. Like, God never abandons Joseph. He's in a pit, or he's been, you know, in captivity, or whether he's in prison... Joseph remains faithful to God, and then God remains faithful to Joseph. He God empowers Joseph with strength. He empowers him with wisdom. He's able to interpret dreams. And then he's clearly able to build trust with the people around him in Egypt. He is been a pretty good leader because he rises in, in Pharaoh's stature. He's put over this entire project, and he builds trust. So God infuses Joseph with with good things even though he had experienced such hurt.
0: Joseph's dreams come true. He is put in power and his brothers show up and that's where we get to today's moment and scripture. He reveals who he is. Immediately wants to know how his father's doing. Clearly he wants to be reunited there and then he says in verse 5, now don't be distressed y'all understandably, because they could be very fearful that he is going to now level the boom and execute them very easily. He has the power and authority to do so. But he says, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. He doubles down on that. Two verses later, he says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. I've got to tell you, this is, this is a pretty remarkable reframing of the story in these events. He's clearly there because his brothers mistreated him. But now, he is able to have the spiritual maturity to go, you know what, there is more going on here than what you did to me. There is a greater story to be told here. This is a, an intersection, I think, where, where Joseph is at. And we get to see him str- struggle and wrestle with what's going on. Why? Because he genuinely seems to consider retribution and vengeance. He toys with them. He is he's absolutely conflicted. And yet, in the end, he chooses reconciliation. And I think that is a moment that gives me great pause. He is given the choice to return evil for evil or to seek a new way forward. And what's, what's remarkable is that he doesn't just want to be reconciled here. This is not just a lovely moment. He doesn't just want to be invited back to the family reunions each summer He wants the reconciliation to bear fruit, and bearing fruit here is loving kindness. He wants to preserve their lives. So it's not just that he wants to be reunited with them. He wants to help them. The fruit of reconciliation is, in fact, loving kindness. Yeah,
1: it's a hopeful word. It is. And yet, when I, before we move to the hope, it's like, I almost wanna stop and acknowledge the really hard here. Um, you know, I, I think I, we've talked about this before, I've told y'all before, um, during the pandemic, which is now going on two years and I'm in a time war, uh, our table fellowship class, um, you know, we've met outside for over a year um, and, and we spent months taking turns in the circle sharing our faith stories. And um, you know, growing up, I, I mean y'all know I grew up in church and a lot of times we're, we can not be real at church, right? We, sometimes we want to put on the, I'm okay. Um, but in our circle, when we were sharing our stories, we took off that veneer. We took off the, I'm okay, veneer. And we really shared our stories. And collectively, we heard some really hard things. Um, in our class, our, if we combined all our life stories together, there's are stories of, of abuse, of physical abuse, of emotional abuse. We've been locked out of the house. We've run away. We've called our parents at 3 a.m. and they've taken us back into the house. Um, we've had grandparents who served as our parents. Um, we suffered a lot of hurt. And we shared that with each other. And we also actually ended up rereading this whole passage as well, um, and really saw a lot of our family systems in this, in this story of wanting to reunite with one another and yet feeling estranged, um, of us being the, feeling like the little brother or the little sister that had been hurt, or also acknowledging that sometimes we were the ones doing the hurting. Um, it's, it's easy to look at this story and identify with Joseph, but it's also kind of thoughtful to, to look at the story and identify with some of the other characters in the story too. Um, so I, I, I'm glad this is in Scripture because I think it shows the humanity and the brokenness, but that's not where the story ends. No, it, it doesn't. doesn't. There.
0: Um, I'm jealous of Joseph. Joseph gets the chance to be reconciled. His estranged family shows up on his doorstep. How many of us would ache for that kind of an opportunity? They show back up in his life. He is given the opportunity to be reconciled. And even so, he's not so sure he wants it. We've gone over that. But I think this is something that we deal with all the time and we don't talk about it. We've all had experiences of hurt and pain that go back years to our childhoods, to stories coming out of middle school, high school, college, of betrayal, of hurt and hardship, I mean, some of our stories are really hard to remember or recall. I mean, we've shut them out. So this is an important part of our life story. But I think even more familiar to us recently, especially these last few years, has been the practice of ghosting. Of being in a relationship with someone, and they just shut down communication. They won't return your texts. They won't show up. They won't return your phone calls. They certainly won't reply to your emails. And it feels so open-ended. And all we are left with is this phantom of, of a relationship that we once had, and it is, it's devastating. When I have the chance to to be with our families in times of grief, these moments come back up. But the one thing that this story gives me is hope that in the end, there is and can be reconciliation. We, We do a time warp here with this, but remember, for a long, long stretch, For years, he was disconnected. Yet in the end, they are reconciled. That gives me hope. That even though right now I may feel ghosted or disconnected or hurt, it doesn't have to be my forever experience.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to end that way. It doesn't. And I I think we have to be reminded that we're a New Testament people. Mm. That this story. Did you? Mm. I did, Mm. (laughs) pre-sister. But, you know, I, I mean, it's a new, we're a New Testament people. And so at the heart of the gospel, it's all about reconciliation. I mean, just look at the story of the prodigal son. And that's a two-way street. The son wants to be reconciled to the father, and he comes towards the father, and then the father comes out with open arms and offers that and extends that grace. And so they both want to be reconciled to one another. And that's what happens in God sending Jesus to us, that God's desire to be reconciled with us is sending Christ. And Jesus has something to say about reconciliation. And I like to ignore it. But listen to Matthew 5.23. Jesus says, So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus' command to all of us is that if there's an issue, we're not supposed to go to Christ first, to the altar. We're supposed to go and reconcile with our family, with our loved one, with our neighbor before coming back to God. And and as you know, I love to do things in an order, and I love a a checklist. Y'all, I want to put reconciliation way over here at the bottom of my checklist because it is hard, and it is painful, and I have to admit things, and I have to revisit the hurt. But Jesus tells us to do it first, um, that it's not supposed to be an afterthought. It's supposed to be at the forefront that that we are to reconcile with one another first, go and be reconciled. Then come
0: and offer your gift,
1: not the other way around.
0: The story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God wants to be reconciled to us. So God comes to us in Jesus. At our very core identity, we are called to be reconcilers. And yet, for so many of us, we are the ones actually starting the fires which I think should be is deeply convicting to me um, I mean we are all different kinds of characters in this story and so it, it makes me wonder what is it about Joseph that he is able to not kill his brothers here what is it about him does he have just some kind of special gift of reconciliation and I don't think he does and I do think there is a clue here. Not in this story, but a little bit later, Jacob, the father, the patriarch, dies. And the brothers are terrified. Why? Because now that the dad's out of the way, they believe that Joseph may absolutely now come after them. So they're scared. And he says, and I believe this sums up the entirety of God's relationship to us. He says, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. He says to them, even though you intended to hurt me, God intended it for good. God takes something bad and uses it for good. And why? To sustain life. God is at work in all things and for good. God can redeem anything, especially failed relationships. Because of the resurrection, where God redeems the deepest, darkest, most impossible thing, because of the resurrection, everything, everything will be reconciled, if not in this life, then certainly in the next. I believe that because Joseph was able to see God at work, even in the hard, he was able to be reconciled to his brothers.
1: I I think the other thing we have to be careful about here is when you read this passage, if we read it wrong, we can think that God caused the hurt. That somehow God you know, God wanted Joseph to hurt, God wanted Joseph to be imprisoned, God wanted Joseph to be captured. And that's not what it says. It, because God, God doesn't initiate sin. And we all know that. God is without sin. And so there was a sinful act, or a lot of sinful acts in this story, where the brothers did wrong things. And Joseph hurt as a result of that. And God redeemed that hurt. God didn't cause the hurt, but he redeems it. And, and I do want to go back just to ground it a little bit in our own experiences, and I want to draw back to the table fellowship class sharing our stories, because I, I know it was a bit of a downer to kind of say, like, oh, gosh, we've shared these hard things with one another. But what was really powerful at the end of each story that we shared is we allowed for a little bit of time at the end after we'd heard our stories to to let the person who had shared stop, and everybody else in the circle said to the person, I saw God at work here, or wow, that was really hard. I, I hear how you, that was a hurtful part of your story, but I can see how God redeemed it, or I feel how God is using you now. And so we listened to each other's stories and lifted up how God worked in the hard places or redeemed the hard places just like That's what Joseph is able to do here. He's able to look at his story and say, God used this for good. Even though you may have intended it for harm, God redeemed it.
0: The church, this is what we are called to do. It's to be able to sit with people in pain, in fracture, perhaps even in abuse, without judgment, and help them see how God is at work for good in the future. Y'all, Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses, but it can be weaponized. I know you've heard it said, all things happen for a reason. But the truth is, that is not biblical. (laughs) That's not in the Bible. And if said in an untimely manner, it can do great harm, because it makes God the abuser. It can make God the one that brought about the hurt. Y'all, the truth is, the world in which we live in is a place of hurt and pain. God's presence in the world is to redeem it, not to cause it. There's a story that rabbis have told over the centuries about this, about how Joseph, when his father Jacob dies, he wants to take his body back to Canaan. And as they are going back to bury their father in his homeland, Joseph passes by the very pit he was thrown into. And he stops there at that place of great shame, the place of such pain, and he blesses the pit. He gives thanks for the pit, which just sounds extraordinary to me but he does so because if you think about it, without the pit, he might very well have died, been killed, murdered by his brothers. And then if, if it had not been for that pit, he might not have ended up in Egypt where he could have saved so many lives, in fact, a remnant, Israel, so that God's people could become hope and light for the world, so that we could tell the story here ourselves today It's a story of reconciliation. That's a story of redemption. And it's a story that we should call as our own. Family is hard. Church family is hard. But this story gives me hope that we can see our lives in such a way that we see that God is working for good, even and especially through the heart.
1: And I think that the takeaway for me also is that it's not just about my own sense of wanting to reconcile with God or one another, but reconciliation goes beyond just two people or three people. But in this story, it, with what you just shared, it goes on and on and on. It has this broad ripple effect that if we are reconcilers, then it creates more opportunity for reconciliation beyond just me.
0: Thank you for practicing Midrash, asking good questions, and having dialogue about God's Word. That's why we're here. That's why we listen and engage Scripture together. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for one another and for the way in which you give us space, eyes, and ears to see and to hear how you were at work in ways that we could not even begin to imagine. Give us a spirit of grace so that we might be able, God, to run to one another in embrace. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.